Bibles, and I will get mine. <laughs> I like to turn with me to Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, Philippians. And while you're turning there, I want to begin by just sharing a, a simple um, word here that came from a child and asked you this, what what is what does John the Baptist and Winnie the Pooh have in common? Great way to start a message, right? <laughs> well, they all have the same, both of them have the same middle name. John the Baptist and Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> yeah, I get that. But here, here's, here's really what I want to get your attention with. What does an evangelist a traveling sales lady, a former fortune teller, and a jailer have in common. Simply this, they were all part of the fellowship of believers that were in Philippi. The Lord used the evangelist, the apostle Paul, to share the gospel and to plant a church in Philippi and these ones that I just mentioned were a part of that congregation, that fellowship uh, that Paul is going to write later a letter to and share some great information with them. They were part of the fellowship. Now, the word fellowship uh, in Scripture is the word koinonia, and it means what do, so it means to have something in common. And what all of these had in common, not just the three that I mentioned but everybody else in Philippi and what we have in common right here at Washington Baptist Church is simply this, it's Jesus. It's the son of the living God. We come together, listen to me, we come together not just to sing as much as we enjoy singing and lifting up and exalting the Lord. We come not just for singing and we come not just to get a message even though that's part of our coming together to worship. But the thing we have in common is a person. That person is the son of the living God and it's our personal living relationship with him that bonds us together. So when we come together in his name, then we are the church. Now the first Sunday in September is called the first Sunday of the quote-unquote new church year. So I just felt in my heart I wanted to share with you today and next Sunday some thoughts about the church, the body of Christ, the family of God. And here's one of the reasons why. I just want to remind you that the church, the family of God, body of Christ, is the bride of Christ. And Christ loves his bride. Now, do we have faults? Yeah. Do we have failures at times? Yes. We're imperfect people responding imperfectly to all kinds of imperfect situations. But you need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, whatever faults and failures any local fellowship, koinonia people have, Jesus in common, is that Christ loves his bride. I have a wonderful bride. Uh, Kathy and I have been married for 45 years. And I want you to know, in case you have any question, I love my bride. And you just need to know, I'm, I'm, I'm saved, all right? And I'm basically looked upon as a gentle guy. But you say something ugly about my bride, 
going to get upset. And if you lay hands on her, I'm not the man I used to be, but I'm taking you down, all right? Because you know what? I love my bride. I love my wife. And Christ loves the bride. That's how important it is. And so I want to look at this here, beginning in Philippians. And uh, I want to talk about, uh, the first thing I want to talk about today is the supernatural formation of the church, the family of God. The supernatural formation of the church. Now, in his letter, that's going to use this as a springboard, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. So, Paul is calling back or writing back uh, to these that uh, were part of the fellowship, Koinonia, there in Philippi. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. So I want to talk about the supernatural formation of the church. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He said, I will build my church. Now, notice what he did not say. I think it's very, very important to make sure our minds are focused on what he really said and not what we think he is saying. He did not say, I have selected you to build my church. He has not called upon us to build his church. He didn't say that. Nor did he say, hey, I will build your church. No, it's not what he said. What he said was, I the Son of the living God, the Christ, the Messiah, King of kings and Lord of lords, I will build my church. Now, why is that important? Well, obviously, uh, those of you, many of you know, you can go to, uh, well, you can't really go to a Christian store now because most of those are closed, so you got to go online. But you can purchase hundreds, hundreds of books that... Uh, in essence, the title of the book, they may use different titles, but it's saying the same thing. Here's how you build a church. Well, I just want to remind you that we have not been called to build the church for the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I will build my church. We are willing servants and ready to be used by him, but he is to build his church. And he builds it this way. So here's what I want you to understand. And here's really the essence of the message today. He will build it through the person and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. He will build his church. And we're going to see an example of this in just a moment. But he builds his church through using, obviously, the Scripture don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But he will build it through the person, the presence, and the 
power of the Holy Spirit. Because the church is a spiritual organism, the most powerful spiritual organism on the face of the earth. Notice I didn't say organization. Church is not an organization. Are we organized? Yes. We want to be as efficient and be able to be used as, as, as clearly and concisely as God wants to use us. But we're not an organization. We are an organism. And that organism is supposed to be supernatural. And we are to be the most powerful spiritual organism on the face of the earth. And it's through the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, I will build my church. So hold your place there in Philippians uh, chapter 1. It's kind of a springboard for us. I want you now to go with me to Acts chapter 16, if you would. Acts chapter 16, and I want to show you how through the power of the Holy Spirit that God, that the Lord Jesus raised up, he planted and raised up a church in Philippi. This is how it all happened. So Paul's writing back to this, but I want you to see some, I think, some very important aspects about the work of the Holy Spirit supernaturally then uh, planting and raising up the church in Philippi. So I want you to notice three things. We're talking about the Spirit of the Lord, and one of the first things I want to draw your attention to in Acts chapter 16 is the restraint of the Holy Spirit. The restraint of the Holy Spirit. Might sound a little odd to you, but let's look at it. Uh, Acts chapter 16 and in verse 6. Here's what the scripture says, verses 6 and 7. Now, let's just put it in context. Paul with his missionary team uh, uh, are out on a, on a missionary journey, wanting to share the gospel. It says, it says in verse six, they passed through the Phrygian and the Galatian region after being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Messiah, they were trying to go into Bithynia and the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Did you see what's taking place here? So we have the Apostle Paul. He's on fire for the Lord Jesus. He has a missionary team with him. Uh, Silas is one of those at this time. And, and of course, his team's on fire for the Lord, and they want to share the gospel. They want to help as many people as possible discover and experience the life-changing grace and love of the Lord Jesus Christ in their life. And so they're looking to, well, let's, let, hey, let's take the gospel to Asia. And the Spirit of the Lord said, no. They said, okay. So let's take the gospel to Bithynia. And the Spirit of the Lord said, no. Now, what you need to understand, I think, you know, if you think it through, you, you would get this, but it's not that he did not want the people in Asia to hear the gospel about them, to hear the gospel. Certainly, as he tells us, we are to go out all over the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't that he did not want them. The Lord Jesus did not want them to go to Asia or Bithynia. At that time, he did not because he had a plan and he had a purpose. And that purpose was he wanted through Paul and this missionary team to plant a church 
a fellowship, a body of Christ right there in Philippi. Now, here's the point. The point is that there are times with good intentions, we're simply using human strategy to seek to do the will of God. And and I want to emphasize good intentions, using human strategy. When the Lord Jesus has his plan, what did he say? I will build my church. I'm not asking you to build my church, and I'm certainly not going to build your church. I'm going to build my church. And so there are times, (coughs) excuse me, at a specific time and season that the Lord Jesus knows exactly what he wants to do and where he wants to do it. And so there are times he has to stop us. There are times he has got to stop us and send us to our knees so we will seek out his will and not our will. When Jesus says, I will build my church, then the only will that matters is his will. Do I have a witness on that? I think we need to respond to that a little bit better. Do we have a witness on that? Amen, because it's not my will. It's never to be my will. It's never to be your will. If he is going to build his church, it's his will. And so there are times that he stops us because even with good intentions, we are following our own human strategy instead of the heavenly spirit-led direction of the will of God. And so he sometimes has to stop us, shut us down, get us on our knees so we will seek his. Now, you may be looking and saying, well, apparently Apostle Paul wasn't in the will of God. No, he was. So how do you know that? Because he was seeking the will. How do you know that? He had ears to hear what the Holy Spirit had to say. Are you listening to me? Say amen. He had ears to hear. The problem is we go into it with not having ears to hear. And so we're using human strategy, which with good intentions will only create a superficial result. So here's a point I want to make and I probably will come back to it several times, that it's the Holy Spirit of God that turns the superficial into the supernatural, which is what it should be in the body of Christ. We should not satisfy for the superficial, that which just, it looks good, it smells good, it temporarily appears to be good. But it's superficial. It's not supernatural. And this spiritual organism called the family of God is to be supernatural through the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit. Scripture says this in Psalms uh, 37. Let me just share this with you, Psalms 37 and and in verse uh, 23. It says, the steps of a man are established by the Lord and he delights in his way. So that's what we're looking for, right? Our steps is to follow one will and that's the will of our Lord Jesus Christ because he is building his church. But on the other side of that coin, it can also say, and he stops (laughs) sometimes our steps because even with good intentions, 
We're fulfilling our will, not his will. So there is, for him to establish, for him to plant and raise up a church in Philippi, it began, listen, it began with the restraint of the Holy Spirit because they had ears to hear. Notice the second thing. Not only the restraint of the Holy Spirit, but also the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Verses 9 and 10. It says, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, we immediately sought to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Jesus, I'm building my church. I want to plant a church in Philippi. I want to stop you from going to Asia and Bithynia right now because I have a plan. I have a purpose for you to go to Philippi. And so the Holy Spirit of God gave the revelation. Now you have heard me say many, many times here, you start with God and you stay with God, right? And everything, you start with God and you stay with God. And the problem is that we rarely start with God And so we're not even close to staying with God because we didn't even start with God. And then here's what happens some other time. Because we don't start with God, everything we do ends up being superficial in terms of the results of it. But there's sometimes we start with God and then we're just so smart and we're just so good. We get to the point after experiencing the supernatural, then we start using our own human strategy and the supernatural turns into superficial again among us because we just cut out and grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And so you have to start with God. And that means you got to let go of, listen, got to let go of your will. I have to let go of my will. I have to let go of my preferences. You have to let go of your preferences because It really doesn't matter. He is building his church and it's his will and only his will that matters. And it's the only time we can experience the supernatural and not just be satisfied with the superficial. So there is the restraint of the Holy Spirit. There is the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And then there is the redemption of the Holy Spirit. So let me just, as we pick up in verse 13 of Acts 16, I want to just share with you three different supernatural testimonies, okay, that is to take place. Watch this very carefully. First of all, verses 13 through 15, testimony number one. Here's what the scripture says. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate uh, to a river, to the riverside where we were thinking that there was a place of prayer. So they're in Philippi. They're looking for a place to gather and have some prayer time. They, they're getting everything ready, all right? And so they, what, what do they do? They start with God. 
<laughs> They're praying, or that was their goal. And it says, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. So there were women there at the riverside. And then in verse 14, it says, a woman named Lydia was listening. And she was a seller of purple fabrics from the city of Thyatira and a worshiper of God. So here's your traveling sales lady we talked about earlier. And this is her testimony. She already was worshiping Jehovah. She didn't know Christ. And so here's what happened. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Now, when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, notice that phrase. This is so critical. Please don't miss this. The Lord, the Lord opened her heart. What's the point? I cannot open anybody's heart. You can't open somebody else's heart. Only the Holy Spirit of God can open up somebody's heart. I shared the message. You are receiving it intellectually as I share the word, but listen, the power the power in the word, the power in the gospel is the Holy Spirit of God. And so if you're a teacher of a Sunday school class where you have the responsibility to rightly divide the word, you're part of the praise team and the praise band and, and you wanting to obviously not only exalt the Lord but draw everybody in true and sincere worship to him. You might be involved in some other ministry. It could be Good News Club where children like Jackson coming to know Christ as Lord and Savior or, or children's church. Maybe you help there sometimes or maybe it's a water, maybe it's the youth. Whatever ministry it is, you just need to know you have no power in and of yourself to open somebody's heart. Only the spirit of the living God can do that. Which is why it is so incredibly important that everything we do, when I say start with God, part of that is just, just lavishing, just praying continuously over what we're doing. For instance, me praying earnestly over the word here because it's not about me, it's about Christ, but it's about the, the work of the Holy Spirit. If he's speaking to your heart right now and he's taking his word and he's, he's, he's making you go and think these thoughts and go over here, he is speaking, it's him, it's not me, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. So every message must be bathed in prayer. Every song we sing should be literally bathed in prayer. Every time you step into that classroom or that room and you're gonna lead a Bible study, you're going to rightly divide the word of God. It should be bathed in prayer because only the Holy Spirit of God can open up a person's heart to not only come to know Christ, but then maybe draw them back if they have found themselves on that road of slow fade. 
away from the Lord. I, I can share and pour my heart out to you, but I have no power. It's the Holy Spirit of God, period. So, first testimony, <laughs> traveling sales lady, Lydia. Look at the second testimony as we uh, pick up in, in verse 16 and read through verse 18. It says, it, it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave woman who had a spirit of divination met us who was bringing great profit to her master by fortune telling. Now, this lady, of course, was demon-possessed. Here's what it says. She, following Paul and us, cried out repeatedly, saying, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation. Well, that's good news. But notice what it says. This annoyed Paul. (laughs) Now, she continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed. You say, well, wait a minute. I mean, she was telling the truth. Yeah, but you see... Paul didn't want anything that was associated with Satan and this one was demon-possessed to have any, any word along with the word he was sharing, which was the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's just the way Satan does to try to muddy the waters. So what does he do? Here's what it says. He said, but Paul was greatly annoyed and he turned and said to the spirit, that means the demonic spirit inside this lady, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her at that very moment. The power to deliver. Here again, there are all kinds of human strategy out there that people use to deal with, well, let's say demon possession. But the results is generally very superficial. Temporary, no real deliverance. There's human strategies out there to deal with destructive attitudes in people's lives. But again, Human strategy is not going to bring real deliverance. The results is going to be superficial, temporary, may look good, smell good for a little while, but they end up right back where they are. And then deadly addictions. You know, there's a lot of human strategy Not all of it's built on biblical principles, as you know. Look, here's the bottom line. It's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Well, it happened right here. You see, it's supernatural. Her heart was opened up supernatural. This woman was delivered from demonic possession supernaturally. Not just human strategy. We'll notice a third testimony. That's the former fortune teller, the sales lady, and now, of course, the jailer. 
You, you know the story. Paul, Paul uh, the Lord delivered this lady from demon possession. That caused an uproar, believe it or not, probably caused an uproar in our culture today. What do you mean delivering her from demon possession? She should have the right to be possessed if she wants to. That's kind of the attitude they seem to have out there. Use my mother's terminology from years ago, blows my mind. So they, they threw Paul and Silas into jail. So what are they doing? Verse 25. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. <laughs> so here they are. Just, they're just having a praise service. And just rejoicing in the Lord. Here they're, they're in prison and, and they're having revival. <laughs> So now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. They was all set free. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself thinking that the prisoners had escaped. He was either killing himself or he would have been executed for allowing the prisoners to escape. So in his mind, I'm going to do it now. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Notice all here. Well, not just Paul and Silas. He said, hey, Silas and I are still here. No, he said, we're all here. Everybody, the gates were open, the chains that they were chained to were open. They're all free and no one left because they were in awe of the power, the supernatural power of God. And the jailer asked for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. So after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And of course, you know, he and his whole household got saved. So what does an evangelist, <laughs> traveling sales lady, a former fortune teller and a jailer have in common? It's Jesus. Through the power the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit of God. And this is what we got to not just, listen, not just grasp, but get a hold of and, and let be the norm for us. Start with God, stay with God. Start with God, stay with God. But here's what has happened in the past. We look for, watch this, we look for three, three types of people in our lives, in the body of Christ. We look for the humanly smart-minded follower. Well, there's nothing wrong with being smart, being intelligent. You know, God gave us a mind. He wants us to use our intelligence. So it's not so much this is wrong, but question is, is it going to be superficial or is it going to be supernatural? What's this? 
the humanly smart-minded follower, the humanly strategic-minded follower using our own ingenuity, and the humanly strong-minded follower. Oh, there's a great leader right there. This guy, he's strong or she's strong. And Well, maybe, maybe not. Because that's not what the Lord's looking for. Doesn't mean he shuns them out. That's not what he's looking for. This is what we look for to build his church. But what does Jesus look for to build his church? Because that's really the reality. I will build my church. Here's the people he's looking for. First of all, the spiritually minded follower. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, spiritual things. Be spiritually minded, spiritual things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. He's looking for the spiritually minded. How's it gonna glorify God? How's it gonna put us in a position for Christ to use us to build his church? Not only the spiritually minded follower, but the surrendered follower. Luke chapter 9 and in verse 23, Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, watch this, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, I have said this before, I'm going to say it again, and I believe it with all my heart, that there is a difference between being committed and being surrendered. That's my conviction. And the reason is because when I am committed, I'm still in control. I decide what I'm going to commit to or not. I'm going to decide what level of commitment that is going to be. And I'm going to decide how long that commitment will last. I am committed. But if I am surrendered, then I live by this verse. If I am surrendered, I turn all of that over. I no longer am in control. If I am surrendered to Christ, his will and only his will, then he is the one who tells me where I will be serving him, what level he desires of me to serve them, and how long he wants me to serve him in that place. He makes all the calls. I make none. I just obey. I simply obey. That's what the Lord's looking for to build his church, the spiritually minded, the surrendered, and of course the spirit-filled follower. Ephesians 5.18, be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. 
So let me just remind you of what I've talked and shared on many occasions, but I've discovered that I have to be reminded of things and maybe you need to be reminded as well. So here it is. This, just to remind you that this is a command. This is an imperative. And what does that mean? That means it's not a suggestion. He's not suggesting, hey, here's something you ought to try. Might work. And they'll say, hey, here's an option for you. That's, that's not what that word is. It's imperative. It's a command. For me not to be filled with the Spirit is an act of disobedience. And not only is it a command, but it's also in the present tense, which simply means it literally reads, be ye being filled. So this is supposed to be my lifestyle every day. Surrendering the throne of my heart completely to the Holy Spirit of God for him to direct my attitudes, my actions, my activities, my every decision to be in his will as he builds his church and how he wants to use me. That's who he's looking for. So here's the challenge for today as I close. Basically, are you surrendered? Are you spiritually minded? Are you earthly minded? Are you surrendered or committed? Are you spirit filled? Do you surrender the throne of your heart? Every day, I have to do it every day. Sometimes I have to stop, confess, get cleansed restore the Holy Spirit where he's supposed to be on the throne of my heart. Pray for me as your pastor that I will always be surrendered, spiritually minded and spirit filled. But I'm challenging you, your spiritual leader in any form or fashion. You stay, you, you're teaching the word of God you're, maybe you're a support person in ministries. It doesn't matter. Will you be surrendered? Would you bathe everything you do in prayer because you want the anointing of the Holy Spirit? You're not satisfied with the superficial. You want the supernatural. I want to give you a chance to respond to that today. I'm gonna ask Zach and Ashley to come back up. And we're gonna have a time where this altar is open.